Amen. I'll turn, if you will, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 tonight. And uh, Brother Judge, how's everything working? <laughs> Did that sound confident to you folks? If I've got the here at the cross going, would that work? For after I'm done? Okay. All right, ensemble, I want to hear here at the cross tonight. Here at the cross. John chapter 19. I'm going to read in a moment, but let me share a testimony first. I don't remember very well the first person who died in our family. I think most of us, we all, we all experience death, right? At some point in our lives. I, I look back in my mind and I'm sure, I'm sure there were some that died when I was very little. I know uh, my great aunt's husband died in 1972. And I was born in, I don't know if it was before I died, was it before or after I was born, Uncle Don? Before, so there you go. And I know there was a few others that probably died when I was three or four or whatever. I think the earliest memory I have of somebody I know dying was my Uncle Blake Field. I think, 82 or 83, around that time, I was about 10. But in those days, we weren't going into the funeral home. Kids didn't go in, uh, or, or my parents didn't desire for me to go in. I, I don't know what it was. Uh, it doesn't matter. But for whatever reason, I didn't go in. And I remember being at the Thompson Waters Funeral Home in Port Dover and standing there in the lobby and wondering what's going on in there and trying to peek in and trying to see and uh, really wasn't a scene for children. But the truth is, we're all touched by it, aren't we? We are. And uh, I, I, I was just little, so I wouldn't say I was super close with my, it was my great uncle. And uh, he'd probably, if he were alive today, be 120, I would guess. And, and uh, prob- I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I think that'd be right about where he'd be at. Uh, he was my grandma's oldest sister's husband, and she was quite a bit older than grandma. So uh, I, I would guess around there. So we weren't super close. I do remember as a child going over to their house pretty regularly, actually. My folks would play games together, and my brother and I would, were supposed to be sleeping in the living room, but they had one of those dumb clocks that every 15 minutes went bling, 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 bling. You know what I'm talking about? Every, you just start dozing off and bling, 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 bling. And if it was the top of the hour, bling, bling. And so we tried to sleep, but we really couldn't. And I remember a lot of nights like that. And so I remember when he died, but I don't remember much about that. The 1987 came along. And I remember, and I, I won't remember who all it was, but I remember going to seven funerals that year. Seven funerals as a 15-year-old boy. I was 14 at the start of the year. Now, that was my grandfather who died in January of that year. I, I remember it vividly. I was staying at my grandmother's house with her. Grandpa had been in the hospital for several months. He had had a stroke. And so as much as I could... I would stay at my grandma's house, and I'd only be home a couple nights a week usually, I think. And I'd walk to school in Port Dover, and I'd walk to my job, and I'd walk back to grandma's and, and uh, spend as much time. And I was there the night he died, and mom and dad and my uncle came to tell her about five in the morning. And I remember her cries. 
This wasn't supposed to be a bad memory. It's not. But I remember throughout that year, funeral after funeral, a fellow that I worked with, Roger Berg, was killed in a car accident that same year in September. Uh, I, I remember just um, my, my dad's mom died that summer as well. My grandma, Fury, or Grandma Dobbs, uh, in July of that year. And so funeral after funeral after funeral. And they touch your life, and eventually you get past it. I don't want to say you get over it. I don't know that we ever get over those things. But by the grace of God, we get past it, don't we? There's people in our church today that are grieving. And I'm here to tell you, by the grace of God, you'll get past it. You'll never get over it. But you'll, you'll get past that grief, and, and the memories you have will be good memories. But here's something we need to remember. When somebody dies, sometimes we are impacted by how they die. Would you agree with that statement? We are impacted by how they die. My grandmother, my mom's mom, my maternal grandmother, died in 2004. And literally, she had some visitors that came during her dinner hour. And... At the nursing home in Port Dover, they said, we'll bring you your dessert later, Mabel. You go and visit with your friends, and we'll bring you your dessert down. You just let us know when you're done, and we'll bring the dessert. And, and so they went down. They had a visit. They went back to the nurse's station when they were done and said, we're all done. You can take her dessert. They took her dessert, and she was gone in her bed just that quick. But there are those that really suffer, those that are in deep agony, and I think those things hang on to us a lot longer, don't they? I mentioned my friend Roger. He had hired me as a, as a, a carryout boy. I, I packed groceries and carried them to people's cars at the grocery store in Port Dover as a 14-year-old boy. And he had hired me that summer. And, and uh, by September, he was killed in a car accident right over by DeMeyer Motors on Highway 24 North. Hit a big tree there. And... I think about going to that funeral. They used the community center in Port Dover right beside the high school, so many of us just walked over from the high school. And we went to this funeral, and I remember the casket was blue, just like his car, but it was closed because it was such a gruesome death. And I wondered, or I wondered today, I don't know if I wondered then, but I wonder how long did it take his mother to get past that? That was in 1987, some 34 years ago, and I wonder, is she over it yet today? To lose a son that I think was 25 or 26 years old because of the nature of his death, such a gruesome thing that they couldn't even open the casket. It impacts us differently. Uh, listen, I want, I want to say something. This is not a message about grief or getting over things, that's not my point. I'm trying to illustrate something here. Do you know why Peter and the disciples had such an impact on the world as they did? 
I believe because they never got over the death of Christ. They never got over it. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul is still saying, some 60 years after the death of Christ, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Never got over it. Everywhere they went, they preached Jesus and the cross. Paul told the church at Corinth, it is the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness. But unto us, we're saved, it is the power of God. It is the cross that is the focal point of history. And I think as I was sharing tonight and, and, and giving a bit of a testimony, I, 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 I elongated that time on purpose because I thought if I talk about it for a little while, you'll start thinking about ones you've lost. Loved ones that have gone on. And honestly, the ones that go to heaven is a lot easier to get past, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I honestly, when I when I preach a funeral that that somebody is very likely died in their sins without Jesus Christ, I don't even know what to say. Sometimes you just preach the gospel and you preach comfort from the Word of God, and and I, I take the approach like uh, the rich man and Lazarus, the uh, the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell and he said, "Please send somebody to tell my brothers." So that's the approach I take at a funeral like that. I'm going to tell his brothers. I'm going to tell others that you don't have to go down that path. I never get up and say, this, this fellow's in hell. I never do that. They already likely know if they would discover the truth of God's word. But perhaps all of you are thinking as somebody, I, I know what you mean, Pastor. I've, I've had a few deaths in my life. I don't think there's probably anybody in this room that's not been touched even once by death. We uh, we marvel sometimes at uh, we we marvel at your daughter, Mrs. Felder, because we would we'd be in a church service with Jennifer and she'd say she'd go to she came to a funeral once literally and she says, you know I I really I've never had anybody in my family close to me die, all her grandparents are still alive, uh, still today, and so she says this. This is something that I need to learn as a pastor's wife. And so she would ask my wife questions, and they'd go back and forth. And, and I thought, wow, that's rare. Praise God for it, that God has given you such a great, great life. But most of us have been touched by death. And we struggle at times to get over it. I want to challenge you on this single thought tonight. Don't ever get over the death of Christ. The moment you get over the death of Christ, you will lose your effectiveness for God. It is what motivates us to go forward. Paul says in Galatians 6 about glorying in the cross. Uh, turn there for a second. Hold, hold your, your finger there in John chapter 19 and look over at Galatians chapter 6. Verse 11, you see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand. 
As many as desire to make affairs show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But listen to this, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. Does that sound like a man that's got over the crucifixion of his Savior? What he is saying is that there's nothing in this world that is worth glorying in save in the cross of Jesus Christ. No works I have done. Nothing I can merit on my own. There's no reason to yell and scream and cheer for me. I glory in the cross. I've never gotten over his death. Because in his death I am a new creature in Christ. Friends, I'm going to say very plainly tonight, when you get over his death, you'll no longer be effective for Christ. But when the memory of what Jesus Christ has done for you, I I really believe it's become too commonplace. We sing, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. And we can sing those songs while we file our nails, and we can check our pocketbook, and we look at our calendar, because they just ring hollow. I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm examining my own heart. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign, think about that phrase, and did my sovereign die? Almighty God, the sovereign one, did he really die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Have you gotten over it? Look at John chapter 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Oh, they weren't crowning him. They were mocking him. And they smote him with their hands. Do you under, I want you to understand something tonight, just about that verse, verse 3. They smote him with their hands. How many of you know the, the verse in the Bible? We like to quote part of it. Turn the other cheek. You've heard that, right? If a man shall smite thee on the left, then turn him the other cheek. There's a reason for that. There's something specific about that. You see, if a man were to slap another man with his left hand, it was a sign of, I have been insulted, and so I'm going to slap you. If he were to slap you with his right hand across your right cheek, he was purposely insulting you. Now think about this. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, if a man smite thee on the left, turn to him the other cheek. In other words, it's okay to be insulted. 
Humble yourself. And allow him to insult. Notice what the Bible says. They slap Jesus with their hand. It doesn't say if it's right or left. Crucifying him was a horrible, horrible thing. But to slap the Lord Jesus Christ was to insult him in front of his mother and all of his family. To slap him with the open hand. They were insulting him as they mocked him and spit upon him. Read verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of, what a sight, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. The emphasis, I believe, there is on the word ye. Take ye him. And crucify. I find no fault in him. You'll have to do this. Take ye him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And by our law, he ought to die. Because he made himself the son of God. Aren't you glad you live by grace and not by the law? The Jews have a law. And by that law, the wages of sin is death. But by grace, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again unto the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. From thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. By the way, 2,000 years later, it still looks like a skull. Where they crucified him. And two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. 
Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, boy, there's so much wrapped up in that one word. What they mean by that is they laid him upon the cross, drove nails through his feet and his hands, and dropped that cross into a hole. His entire body would feel the ache and the pain. When they had crucified, Jesus took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not read it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. From that hour that disciple took her unto his own house. Imagine she was watching her son. Hang on that cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Other scriptures tell us more. They tell us of the beating he took with the cat of nine tails. They tell us of the spear that was pierced through his side. They tell us of the hours. If we were to get down and and dig through the scriptures, we would find that Jesus hung on that cross for about six hours. If we dug a little deeper yet, we would find for hours before that, He languished overnight in a cold cell after already being beaten. His back riddled in ribbons of flesh in a cold, damp cell. We would learn more about him dragging that cross, and the Bible says falling beneath the weight of it, and Simon, a Cyrenian, would come and take his cross and carry it the rest of the way. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you tonight that we might... Leave here saying, I never want to get over the death of Christ. I never want to forget what Jesus has done for me. The Lord knew that we might do that. So he left us the Lord's table. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. Keep practicing this. Rehearsing it over and over. Use it to strengthen your memory. Use it when your love waxes cold. Use it when you just don't have that fire in your bones like you once did. Use it as a marker of revival. Use it to be reminded that I am coming again to receive you unto myself. And so tonight we gather around the Lord's table. 
to remember the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish we were gathering in a normal sense. But tonight we will take the cup, the bread and the cup, and we'll remember